You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's style is very unique, where he shares the message of the gospel unlike anyone else. It's real, refreshing, focused, and fun. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe in a difficult place, or possibly even in a very lonely place, let me encourage you that you've come to the right place. Now, if you're not able to stick around with us for all of today's talk, you can always listen to, download, and even share this entire message with a friend right from our website, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Wise Ashes. I heard somebody say this the other day, wherever there are ashes, there was a fire. And ashes represent in many cases, destruction. You say, well, but a fire is a good thing if you're getting warm. Yeah, but something has to be destroyed to keep you warm. That wood has to be consumed to put off heat. And what you end up are with ashes. And in the scripture, ashes play a big role in kind of explaining or demonstrating where people are or where people look like they are and may not really be. I'd like you to start with me in Genesis chapter 18. If you'll turn over there, in the first part of Genesis 18, the Lord shows up, appears to be three angels show up. They appear to Abraham and to Sarah. And this whole promise of her getting pregnant as a very old woman, and she laughs and denies that she laughs. And then we're gonna jump in here at verse 16. Then the men arose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, And because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So he comes personally to go to Sodom, the Sodom and Gomorrah area, and see if the outcry that's come from this place is really what's going on. You say, well, can he see that from heaven? I love that God is willing to come here. I love that he is a personal God, that he cares about me, that Jesus was willing to come here, be born of a virgin, live as a man, God-man, and then not leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit. He is still here. If you're a Christian, he lives in you. This is a very personal, not on some distant throne thing. He sits on the throne of our lives, and it is very real, very personal every day. So he's come down to literally assess the situation because things have gotten so bad in this city. Now look at this conversation. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood still before the Lord, and Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? So Abraham begins to intercede on behalf of the people of this area, knowing that he had family in that city. And he knows that it is a bad place. There is evil going on in that place. So Abraham starts to basically intercede here. Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And then he starts back and forth. He says, suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? 
Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. In other words, you can't wipe out this whole city, this whole area, if there are righteous people there. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. 50, that's all there have to be is 50. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed now, and look how he describes himself, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Now this is not a bad way to approach God. You say, well, why does he refer to himself as dust and ashes? Because you start dust, and a lot of people back then were burned to death, were cremated, so you end up ashes. So he knows his beginning and his possible ending. You have to understand when you approach God, you can approach him with boldness, but he is still a holy God. There needs to be reverence, there needs to be awe and respect. You can go at him, but remember who you're going at. So now you sense with Abraham that he's beginning to make sure that he's making God aware that he is aware of the conversation they're having. Again, he says, indeed now I who am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, if there be 45, I'll not destroy it. And he spoke to him again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I'll not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I'll not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. He's negotiating. How many do there have to be for you not to wipe out this area? I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. And if you know the story, you know what happened. There were only four and he wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me just read you this. I can't read the whole book of Esther to you. But let me read you some commentary on what happened in Esther. In this commentary about Esther, ashes accompanied sackcloth in times of national disaster or repenting from sin. Okay, so ashes are involved. And you say, well, what in the world does this mean? People would literally go out and either sit in ashes, as we'll see in a minute someone did, or they would get ashes and just pile them on their head. You say, well, was it symbolic? At some point, these activities, these behaviors, genuine repentance is not symbolic, an external change. It is an internal change and the external demonstrates to anyone who sees you, it's a woe is me, I can't take it anymore. I don't know how God can take it anymore. And wherever there is true repentance, there is genuine change. You say, well, how do I know if I repented? You're not living the same way you were before. You say, well, I'm trying to make a change in my life. And Claude used to tell me, the old man that discipled me, he said, Richard, God will never make you do anything, but he'll make you wish you had. And he said, well, but you're being all heavy. You're being all serious. I actually am being all heavy and being all serious. Some of it is on a personal level. Some of it is on a church level. Some of it is on a city level. Some of it is on a national level. And some of it's on a world level. There's nowhere to flee on this planet. You can build your rocket and try to get out of here, but there's nowhere to go. So we're stuck on this planet. We better figure this out. You say, well, I already read the end. I know how it ends up. I am trying to figure out, even if Jesus comes in my lifetime or all hell breaks loose and the end of the world comes, I am here for a reason. I have been left here for a purpose or I'd be out of here. You've got to figure out what that purpose is. 
It's to seek and to save that which was lost. Listen to this commentary on Esther. Esther 4.1, for instance, describes Mordecai tearing his clothes, putting on sackcloth and ashes, and walking out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. This was Mordecai's reaction to King Xerxes' declaration giving the wicked Haman authority to destroy the Jews. And that's in Esther 3, 8 through 15. Mordecai was not the only one who grieved. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes, Esther 4, 3. The Jews responded to the devastating news concerning their race with sackcloth and ashes, showing their intense grief and distress. You say, well, are things bad enough for that? I will tell you, and some people that I meet along the way are not even aware of something called fasting. They think it's this old thing that nobody does anymore. If you know about fasting, when things become desperate, you fast. You got a situation, somebody's sick in your family, whatever, a job, and you realize this is game on, this God has to intervene or we're not gonna make it, you will find yourself fasting. Because from my perspective, And what the scripture talks about, it is the nuclear weapon of the Christian life. And some people, the enemy tries to keep them ignorant to fasting. They don't want to do it, don't know anything about it, think it's obsolete. It is not obsolete. Go read Matthew 6, when you pray, when you fast, when you give alms. You want to move heaven, then fast. Go to Job chapter 42, and we'll come back to the fasting thing in just a few minutes. Job chapter 42, keep going to the right. Now, this is at the end of Job. If you go read the beginning of Job, I don't want to assume everybody knows this. Job lost everything, his health. The only thing Job didn't lose was his life and his wife. And his wife was not being very supportive at the time. So he was by himself, terrible physical situation, lost all of his possessions, lost all of his children. Catastrophic, catastrophic devastation. Job 42, one, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I said things I didn't know what I was talking about and I acknowledge that. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. He says, once I have heard you and seen you, I get it who you are. If you ever see God for who he is, it will throw you to your knees and you repent in dust and ashes. You finally figured out, he is God, I am not. I had no idea. You say, but I approach with boldness. I'm telling you, when we see Jesus, you will drop. Every knee will bow. Even if you don't want to, the scripture says, every knee will bow. Your knees will buckle in the presence of a holy God. And it is better to have that happen now. And literally here, Job, after all he's been through, says, I abhor myself, I repent. And you say, well, what did he have to repent from? Whatever it was, he repented. And whatever God was trying to teach him and show him, he finally got it. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. These three buddies show up, do the right thing, sit there with him, don't say anything for a week, and then they go, oh, there must be sin in your life. That's why all this is happening. Sometimes the best thing to do is keep your mouth shut if you started out that way. And don't try to talk for God. Because not everybody who's got problems has problems as a result of some sin in their life. Sometimes God allows suffering to teach us things. 
Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And by the way, when you get done with a burnt offering, you don't walk away with anything, you end up with ashes. And my servant Job shall pray for you. Now this, if you've read the book of Job and ever wondered when this thing turned around for Job, look at this, it starts right here. You go do the burnt offering and my servant Job shall pray for you for I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded them for the Lord had accepted Job and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. That's when it turned around for Job. You say, well, all these people have been mean to me. They've been saying that it was all this and that. You know what? Get whatever's wrong between you and God right and then say, God, I will do whatever I have to do with anybody else. You got somebody you're bitter toward? Pray for them. Love them anyway. You say, well, you don't know what they did to me and I don't like them. You know what? Enough of this crap. You're wasting your life. You're wasting God's time. You're wasting the person's time. Get on with it. And that bitterness, by the way, the Bible describes it can turn into a bitter root and a root consumes you. It eats you alive. You are gone. It takes over your life. Go to Isaiah 58. Let's assume that you're a Christian. Nice start. Okay, so you're going to die and you're going to go to heaven. Obviously, you're not dead. You're not in heaven. So you're still here for a reason. What are you still doing on the planet? You say, well, I'm here to serve God. Possibly. The ultimate goal of any believer is to bring glory to God. That is your goal. As long as you're here, it is to bring glory to God. And if you are serving him and that brings glory to him, good job. But if you are serving him in the flesh and for people to see and go, oh, look what a nice person he is, it's a waste. It may do some good, but if it doesn't bring glory to him, it'll get consumed. You say, well, I'm supposed to be a nice person. If you're just trying to be nice to be nice, a lot of people, even atheists can be nice. And some false religions out nice Christians all day long. It's not about being nice. It is about letting the Holy Spirit move through your life and say, what has got to go? What are you locked up on? What is genuine? What is real? What is really of God? Is it of him living in me and through me where the world sees that and knows it's all him? Here in Isaiah 58, look at verse one. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. So he's saying here to Isaiah, blast this message. Now what is the message? Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They delight in reproaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? So it appears that they're doing all the right stuff. They seek me daily. Oh, I'm after God daily. Delight to know my ways. A nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They delight in approaching God. They like just approaching God. Why have we fasted? Then you see where they're coming from. Well, what is all this fasting about? They say, you have not seen, you're not paying attention. Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, he says, you find pleasure. You're giving up food, but you're still having a good time and exploit all your laborers and you're not even treating your employees right. 
Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. In other words, oh God, you are fasting, look at us. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day of the Lord? Well, he says, I've even got sackcloth and ashes in here. You can do all the external stuff and it not be very wise ashes because God looks on the heart. So you say, well, you're judging somebody. It's not about judging someone. It's just that when someone is genuine about their repentance and about change on the inside from the inside out, something changes. And then he goes to what he's after. Look at verse six. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? And then this is what happens when you fast his way. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you may break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You wanna know how to cover your backside? Fast. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. You need some direction? There are ways to get this done and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones and you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. This sounds like a good life to me. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. So you say, well, what are you saying? I'm saying don't be religious, don't look religious. Be sincere, be genuine, be repentant from the inside out. Because even sackcloth and ashes and all the appearance of righteousness don't determine anything if it's not from the heart. And when it is from the heart, individuals change, churches change, cities change, nations change, the world changes. You say, well, how many does it take? Well, my book says where two or more are gathered in the same, he's in the midst. So if I got Jesus in the midst, I can rain some fire. I can bring some heat. One more, Jonah chapter three. If you know the story of Jonah, God tells him to go to Nineveh and preach to that city, huge city, huge metropolitan area back in that day. Jonah says, I don't want to go. And if you read the book of Jonah, the reason he didn't want to go is he knew that if he went and preached to that city and they repented, that God would be merciful to him. And he didn't want that. He wanted God to wipe them out. So he takes off, gets swallowed by a large fish, which back to my turning to stone, looking back and swallowed by a big fish, you're going to have to get over yourself. You're going to have to have more faith you say, well, I just can't believe somebody who's swallowed by a big fish and survive it. You're dealing with God. You think we can put somebody in a tube and fire them off to the moon and back? You think God can't protect a man in a fish? So the word comes to Jonah the first time, Jonah disobeys. Chapter three, verse one, Jonah three, one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, which I love that, just that part right there, because God gave him a second chance to do the right thing. And I'm not on my second chance. I'm so far down the road in my chances. 
came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. So just to get across, Nineveh would have taken three days walking. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You've got 40 days. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Now nowhere does Jonah, it doesn't say here anywhere that Jonah told them to do that. When people finally understand it's game over, unless something changes, then they make changes. Then word came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, the king himself. From the top down, they realized we are in trouble. We've been warned. If we don't repent, we are cooked. It's over, it's done. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. So it's not just a fast among people, even the animals are gonna fast. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth. So now you've got all these animals covered in sackcloth. In other words, God, we are so serious. Our animals are fasting water and food, and they are gonna be covered in sackcloth to demonstrate to you we get it. Enough is enough. And cry mightily to God, yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell? if God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. Or you can get on board with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. Here's part of my selfish dilemma, and maybe this has been going on for generations. Even if I die within the next few years or decades, I have children that might marry and have children. He said, well, you won't be here. You don't care. I love my kids. And I already love their kids that aren't even here yet. And their kids, because they're my family. And I live in a country where someone has flushed a toilet and it seems to be going really bad. And so at some point you say, well, then is it about America? It cannot be about America first. It has to be about holiness. It has to be about righteousness. It has to be about worship. It has to be about God himself. And then you find yourself pleading for your people, for your family, for your land, for the absolute losing of our minds. And so you say, well, how does that relate to me? How does that even relate to me? So here I am, I prepare a sermon, I read some scripture, we have tremendous music, we study the scriptures, we do a lot of things right, but what I'm trying to figure out is what is still not right in my own heart. Because the Bible talks about having a form of godliness, 
but really we deny the power thereof. And it says from such people, stay away from them. I don't want to be someone that a truly godly person would feel compelled to stay away from because I have a form of godliness, but basically deny the power thereof. You get one obedient man, Jonah, who just does what God says, says what God tells him to say, and then word spreads and people begin to pray and genuinely repent. And the difference here is that it must have been real because God backed off. I think more than any time, it's time to live the gospel, to preach the gospel, because you can only go so far with dumb ashes and it's time to engage with wise ashes that really reflect repentance and sorrow and brokenness and crying out to God literally for your life, for your family's life, for your nation's life, for your city's life. You say, well, I don't feel anything that what you're saying. Then maybe you ought to climb in a closet and say, God, what's wrong with me? Why don't I even feel this anymore? Why don't I care anymore? So Richard, you ought to be glad anybody even shows up. I'm not trying to draw a crowd. I'm trying to point you to him. I'm interested in there being a crowd there one day and people who crawl in the closet here and something happens. Thanks for listening today to Richard Ellis Talks. We're confident that the program blessed you and we want to hear about it. One way is to give us a call and let us know. The number is 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is to drop us an email. Jump on over to our website, richardellistalks.com and click on the Connect tab at the top. We'd love to hear from you. And while you're there at the website, there's a ton of great stuff there just for you. Things like all of the talk from Richard, a prayer wall where you can leave your prayer request, and a whole lot more. Check it out, richardellistalks.com. Finally, we love doing this program for you, but we're so grateful when you hop on board to help us with the cost. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD, or you can contribute through the website. It's easy and much appreciated. 855-6-RICHARD or richardellistalks.com. Until next time, God bless you, and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.